0: Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Our Father, I am so... overwhelmed with your joy right now. What a great and powerful gospel you have given. That Jesus Christ, God, would come near, lay down his rights, be nailed to a cross, sacrificed for me for my brothers and sisters that he would raise up. He crossed enemy lines. He came to where it was not safe for him. And he bore the ultimate price for that, but it's worth it because he died. And then he raised and he made us new creations. Jesus, what a good gospel. And then Jesus, you ascended to the right hand of the father given all power and authority over heaven and earth. And you are exerting that power and authority to save more, just one more, just one more, just one more. And you're returning to this good earth, though it doesn't seem very good at times, you're returning to this good earth to make it finally very good once again, like you made it at first. This is a good gospel, you died for it, it's worth us dying for. Jesus, fill this people with the courage and the very wonderful and light and easy but important burden of taking up our cross, following you and taking this good gospel to the entire, entire world. Fight our laziness. Fight our comfort. Fight our conveniences. Fight our control. And save the people of this world in Jesus' name. We ask it, and we know you will do what you will do. We know you will respond. We know you want it. So we ask it in your name, Jesus. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And this church says, amen. I don't know if I should tell you to have a seat or keep standing, but you can have a seat. I want you guys to open up to Acts 14, verse 19. I'm sniffly right now, because I was crying. I don't know if there's any (laughs) Kleenex around here. You'll just have to deal with my snifflies. All right, Acts 14, 19. Aw, oh, thank you, thank you so much, you're sweet. I'm gonna keep these, is that okay? Hold on a sec. Turn my mic off. <laughs> okay, wow, I've been blessed with more, thank you. <laughs> okay. Um. It is interesting to me uh, how the very same behavior or thing that a person might do can be either incredibly foolish or incredibly heroic based on what's at stake. The same exact behavior, the same exact thing you might see them do in one scenario, in one context might be incredibly foolish. Another, it might be incredibly heroic. Let me explain. Is this scenario foolish or heroic? You see a person running down through a street where there's gunfire going across, artillery shells blowing up everywhere, and when you see them get to the other side of the street, risking their life for everything, you see it's because they're handing out free iPhones. (laughs) Foolish or heroic? Foolish, why? Because what's at stake is not worthy of the risk right? Okay. Now let me tell you a story. And you tell me if this version of that same story is foolish or heroic based on what was at the other end of the street. You guys know I like World War II history. Sorry, I'm going to give you another story from there. 101st Airborne in the area of Bastogne, Belgium. And they're going to be attacking the town of Foy that is taken over by Germans. It's It's a necessary place they have to get to to get through, to go into Germany. It's very hardened place. They have been barraged by lots of artillery for a month. They've been living out in the snow for a month. And this attack on Foy is gonna happen. The guy leading Company, E-Company of the 101st Airborne um, wasn't the greatest of leaders. He starts the attack, they move forward, but then stuff goes wrong. He gets a little freaked out and freezes. So they're hiding behind these hay bales. Hay bales are not a great place to hide if it's artillery coming at you. He stops the whole movement to regroup and figure out what he's gonna do. And his guys are pressuring him, pressuring him, pressuring him for a decision. We've gotta keep moving, but they're stalled out. And so in the heat of the moment, and I think he had a wound too, in the heat of the moment, he sends one platoon, that's like 20 to 50 guys, to go around the town and attack it alone from the back. He's basically sent them to their deaths. Seeing this happen and seeing that it was stalled out, the commander of the 101st relieves him of duty, sends out Lieutenant Spears. And Lieutenant Spears runs across this open field, relieves him of duty, and then gets to know what's happened here, what commands have been given, where is everybody, and as soon as he finds out, he gets them moving again into Foy. One problem though was that I Company was over here, they didn't have any communication with them, and they were the support, and now that they had sent this platoon around to the back, they needed that support, and everything was gonna rely on that. So, Lieutenant Spears tells his men to get in their positions, and he runs alone. Across enemy lines, connects up with I Company as soldiers from the German army are shooting at him and, and, and barraging him with artillery. Runs through the enemy lines and the German soldiers didn't know what to do with this. Like, I guess I'll shoot at him. And What is he doing? He goes and he, and he connects up with I Company and he tells them to get moving and gives them some orders I won't bore you with to get them moving so that the rest of Easy Company could do their job. The the craziest part about the story is not that he ran through enemy lines to get there, although that's crazy. The craziest part of the story is that because his men needed them to lead them, he ran back through those same enemy lines. (laughs) Back to his men, led the attack in, and had victory. Foolish or heroic? Heroic. Why? Because what was at stake were the lives of those men and he felt that his life wasn't worthy of keeping if it would lose all of their lives. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Church, great sacrifice is demanded when lives are at stake. Friends, I wanna tell you that risk is appropriate, even demanded, when what is holy, what is just, and when what is eternal is at stake. This gospel of the kingdom that Jesus' church has been entrusted with is the only thing, Jesus is the only one who can save all the people in this world. There is so much at stake. Risk is not only appropriate, but it is demanded of the people of God because so much is at stake. I wanna read you this story in Acts and it's kinda like this narrative, this story that's wrapped around this really small one sentence sermon or message that is so powerful if we take a time to just look at it. Now let's back a, a couple of millennia uh, before Lieutenant Spears ran his risky daring run. He didn't invent that. Someone did that before him. Paul and Barnabas did this before he did. And of course, someone did that before Paul and Barnabas, that they were Following, right? Jesus. Let's back up. Could you put the map up on the screen that I give you guys? Okay. Sorry for the, the history lesson here, but I just want you to be able to, like, we don't know all the names of places over there, especially 2,000 years ago. If you look, like, over here is uh, on the right side, you kind of see the top part of Israel. Well, it's, you can't really see Israel very well, but you see Syria, and then up the top landmass there is Turkey. Okay, modern-day Turkey, and then you've got Cyprus right there. A few of our people actually went and visited there not too long ago, that, uh, that island, Cyprus. I want you just to have this in view so you can see how, uh, how things went in this passage. Previously in Acts, now now look, you don't need to be staring at that right now, but we'll have that up just so as I read you can, you can see it for reference. Previously in Acts, we see Paul and Barnabas preaching their way through modern-day Turkey. Okay, that's the blue line. The blue line, they left Antioch over there in Syria. They go to Cyprus. They go up into Pamphylia. And then they come up to Antioch of Pisidia, a different Antioch than the one over on the right. And then they, uh, they, they've, been, they've been traveling up this way preaching the gospel. They make disciples in Antioch and then they get run out by the Jews who resist the gospel because they think they're teaching a false gospel. That Jesus is the Messiah, they say is a false gospel. So they go to Iconium. You see up at the top there, from Antioch and Pisidia, they go to Iconium. And they make disciples there. And then they get run out again. And this time it's under threats of murder. And so then they move a little bit further to Lystra or Lystra. I'm not sure exactly how to say that. And there they heal a man. We talked about this last week. They heal a man that can barely stop people. They heal this guy. And then they can barely stop people from worshiping them. Like they're bringing out sacrifices to sacrifice to them. And they beg them not to. They tear their clothes and say, don't worship us. We're just men like you. Worship God. And here in Lystra, Lystra, is where we pick up Today. They're in Lystra. People have almost worshiped them, but then the exact opposite begins to happen. Verse 19, Acts fourteen nineteen. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. That's not like the, the fun kind of stoning, getting stoned. It's not fun, it's gross and horrible for you. But it, it's not that. They actually took rocks, and they pelted him with it until he was dead they stoned paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead this is in lystra lystra but when the disciples gathered around him he rose up and entered the city and on the next day he went on with barnabas to derby see that blue line finishing out there it's derby Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Does that list of cities sound familiar? What had happened there? Persecution, run out, death threats, and in Lystra, the first place they go back to is where Paul had been stoned Almost to death. They go back to all the cities that they were persecuted in, in reverse order. They literally ran back through the enemy lines. But why would they do this? They'd already preached the gospel there. They'd already made disciples there. Why would they go back? Why didn't they just keep, keep heading east? They, they were going to go back. You see the you see the red the red line. They wanted to get back to Antioch over in Syria. They literally there's there's a there's a path they could have taken from Derby east and then back to Antioch or or down down to Tarsus and they could have sailed to Antioch. They literally could have completely avoided that place where they had been so persecuted. Why would they go back the opposite way past enemy lines? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 22 strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And this is where this little mini message happens. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them, the disciples, to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul and Barnabas took the risk and went back because something holy, something just, and something eternal was at stake. They don't retaliate, but they certainly don't retreat. Think about what the disciples in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra are thinking after they've either either heard or maybe even saw with their own eyes, Paul gets stoned for what he believed and was teaching. Just think about the crisis of faith that would be for you. You see a person preaching the gospel of Jesus. They get rocks hurled at them until they're supposedly dead. What's happening in your heart? That's a fearful thing. So so we believe the gospel of Jesus and we preach the gospel of Jesus and we get killed for it? Paul knows this. Paul knows, there's not email in that day. He couldn't send an email and say, I'm fine, everything's fine. So he goes and shows them proof that even with the scars and probably missing teeth, God is faithful. He shows up in person to them to encourage them. And not with a bunch of platitudes about, oh, everything will be all right. He comes back to them with a message that God is faithful. Remain faithful to him. And this, what happened to me, is normal for a Christian following Jesus. Don't let it scare you off. Stay faithful. Stand firm. With these new disciples, faith in the balance, Paul and Barnabas rush back into the danger zone to reassure them. And they don't reassure them with promises of comfort, convenience, and control. They reassure them with a call to faithfulness that ends in reward. A call to faithfulness to Jesus at which the end of that road is great, great reward. And I wanna drill down on the summary of their message to these new disciples in verse 22. He encourages them to continue in the faith and he says to them through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Write that down. Put it on your fridge. Keep it with you. Read it every day. Because when you belong to the kingdom of the right side up, Jesus' kingdom, your faith, your convictions, and your love and your purpose will not earn you favor in this world's kingdom of the upside down. Everything here is so upside down. Right is wrong. Holy is unholy. Just is unjust. You will not earn brownie points in this kingdom of this world by living as a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. Now, the tribulations that we will go through in this life because of following Jesus, those what the scriptures call, even though they don't feel like this, light and momentary afflictions, tribulations. Is it worth it to you? It's real easy to say, of course it is, Travis. It's real easy to say yes to that. But I really encourage you to go down deep on that question. Is it worth it to you? Is it worth losing what you have? Is it worth losing friendships? Is it worth losing money? Is it worth losing comfort? Is it worth losing the praise of people? Is it worth losing your life? We all wanna be heroes. We all wanna say yes to that. But when the time comes, will we be found ready? Is it worth it to you? In Matthew 7, King Jesus also warns us. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to what? Destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. Most of us in this room have not yet experienced the deep persecution that we're reading about in this passage. And so we could easily say, well, let's not focus on that if and when it ever comes. Instead, talk to me about how I can have my best life now. That isn't happening right now, so I don't need to hear about that now. But friends, thinking this way, and hearing people talk about the day's the last days when Jesus will return and this world will be a different place. This world leading up to it will be not what you grew up in. It will be hard. It will be persecution. It will be loss. It will be death. And you hear someone talk about that right now on this stage. You say, Travis, go home with your tinfoil hat. Do we really believe Jesus is returning? If he is then everything the Bible predicts that will happen will happen. Will we be ready? Will you be ready? You can say, I have a tinfoil hat all I want. I'm happy in my tinfoil hat. I believe Jesus is returning. Actually, physically, the sky will open and Jesus in bodily form will descend to this earth. And before that happens... There is a great tribulation that we've never seen before. I believe that's happening. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I, I believe it happens. It will happen. Do you? Do you believe it enough so that you will make yourself ready for when it does? Oh, church, don't be caught unready. It is foolishness to not think about it, not prepare for it. Until that day comes, our king and leader has exhorted us to be conditioning ourselves to think like people who are living in the end of the age. We have to import the mindset of the end of the age church into our age now so that we can be ready for then. Saying we'll focus on that when it comes is like saying, I'm gonna start conditioning for a full marathon the day before it starts. Good luck. It doesn't work that way. You don't start training to run, what is it, 26 miles? 23, I don't even know how much marathon is. is. I'll never run one, for obvious reasons. Look, but what I do know is you can't start training for it the day before or when they say go. Besides, how do we know when then will be? well, Well, when it happens then, way off in the future, how do we know when that will be? How do you know it's not next year? How do you know it's not next month? Have you seen how quickly our world changed overnight in the last couple years? You think this kind of stuff can't just happen overnight? Foolish. I love you, but foolish. We must put on the mindset of the last day's church now if we want to continue in the faith then. There is a possibility that you could live your whole life thinking you know and trust Jesus and then because of your unpreparedness, you didn't really know Jesus, you didn't really trust him. This was just a big social club. Those days will come and you will not be faithful. That's a possibility. In fact, scripture says it will happen. There will be people who say, Jesus, I did all these things for you and he will say to people who thought they knew him, Apart from me, depart from me. I never knew you. I love you so much. Don't be that one. Don't be that one. I'm not gonna stand here and predict that these days are right around the corner, but I certainly am not gonna stand here and predict that they aren't. This world is different there's some signs of the times happening. Our world has changed. The birth pains that Jesus described in Mark 13 seem to be increasing in both frequency and intensity. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable of the 10 virgins, awaiting for a bridegroom to come into the city, but it's dark outside, it's night, they don't know when he'll get there. The bridegroom stands for Jesus. It's dark outside, and so these virgins, some of them are prepared to go and host him and walk along with him with their lamps and light the way to where he's going. Some of them are not. They all have lamps, but some of them don't have extra oil. The wise ones had extra oil because the night was long, and the the lamps burning would use a lot of oil. They had prepared. They were watchful. They were ready. And then the shout came, the bridegroom is here, and the wise ones were able to go out and meet him and be with him, but the foolish ones... They had to go find a marketplace or someone who would give them more oil so that they could have lamp to see the way through the dark night. And by the time they get to where the bridegroom was, the door was shut and it's too late. The bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour. In this passage, he calls them the foolish ones. If we take on the mindset of delaying our preparation and our our way of life for suffering in the last days, if we delay that, we are by Jesus' own definition foolish. We are fools. Don't be a fool. Don't wait till then in all your comfort and convenience and control to ready yourself for that day when you will already have needed to be ready. This exhortation from Paul and Barnabas to these new disciples, that it is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. It's not to scare us, but to prepare us. So sorry, that rhymed. It's not to scare us, it's to prepare us. Prepared people are confident people. Well conditioned people are persevering people. Faithful people are courageous people. Hardship in no way earns you salvation or entry into the kingdom of God. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying you earn your way into the kingdom of God by having hard stuff happen. All kinds of people all over the world have hardships happen, they don't trust in Jesus and they are not part of the kingdom of God. It's not hardship. It's just that if you choose the road of following Jesus, the one of faith in Jesus, of which the destination is the kingdom of God, it is lined with hardship. Why? Because we have to walk that road right through enemy lines of a world culture that Satan has designed to combat the kingdom of Jesus. That's why the road is hard, because we live in a world that does not love God. I think it's interesting that one of the things that Paul and Barnabas do when they return through these cities where they had been persecuted is that they once again pray and fast in connection with appointing elders for all these new churches, leaders. It wasn't just about finding people with obvious leadership skills. Why pray and fast for that? Just find the people, who's your best leaders? Okay, put them in charge. That's not what they did. They prayed and fasted, why? Because they were inviting these elders into the same danger that they had just walked through. Paul and Barnabas were the one they stoned when they came through, but these elders leading the way, preaching the gospel, keeping the church, following Jesus, they'd be in the target, in the sights next. So it can't just be someone with skill or a silver tongue who can draw a crowd. It's not about skill, it's about character. It's about perseverance. It's about faith. It's about enduring hardship. That's why they prayed and fasted to find out who should be the elders. Their selection wasn't about just skill and personality, it was about seeking the Holy Spirit to find a depth of faith and character that they could persevere through tribulation and lead these newborn churches to do the same. The church does not need celebrity leaders who pander to people's preferences, feeding their flesh to build the church's brand, whatever that is. The church of God is not a brand. It's not cool, it's not hip, it's a family. The church is not a company where the bottom line is numbers. It's a last days missional people of God whose bottom line is faith and faithfulness. God isn't looking to see how many people or lack of people are filling these pews. He's looking into the heart of everyone filling these pews and saying, are they faithful to me? Will they obey my commands when I give it to them? He's not impressed with our numbers or lack thereof. He looks into the heart and says, will I find faith? Will I find faithfulness? And so the invitation to us is this. Will you walk together on this narrow road lined with tribulation, but that at the end of it has the kingdom of God of eternal joy that can never be shaken, and a king whose reward for us is greater than your imagination could handle? Will you walk this narrow, hard road now for the kingdom then? And so let's get down to some brass tacks with some first steps. You say how, you tell me to Travis, but how? I'm gonna tell you to, I'm gonna tell you how. Maybe not all the ways how, but I'm gonna tell you how so you can't say, well, he didn't tell me how, so I'm not gonna do anything. But most of this has to do with surrender and the heart. It's not like check these boxes and you'll be ready. This is gonna take sacrifice. This is gonna take some decisions on your part. There are three spheres of your life that I want to engage and encourage you to examine right now. And we're actually gonna give you a little time to do this after I'm done preaching. The three areas, the three spheres of your life are your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions. Your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions. If you haven't been taking notes, totally cool, I get it. Most of what I have to say is not worth writing down. But I do encourage you to take out something or just put a little note on your phone, whatever you need to do, write these things down so that you can take them into your week and spend time with the Lord going over them. If you don't, okay, I really encourage you to your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions. Here's how I wanna engage your thoughts with a question. What lies have I believed about the way my life should be? What lies have I believed about the way my life should be? About how I define normal for a disciple of Jesus? Paul, got stoned, went to another city and came back to where he was persecuted and said, guys, this is how it is on the way to the kingdom. This is normal. Does your definition of normal match his? How much comfort, convenience, and control do I expect to have in my life? And when you answer that question, you know, what's, what's reasonable for me to expect in my life of the comforts and the conveniences and the control I have in my life? When you answer that question, does your answer match that, what God, that which God has actually promised you? I guarantee you in some ways it does not. You think that you're supposed to have things and experience things and have life a certain way that God has never promised you. We sing that song, promises, great is your faithfulness to me. His faithfulness is great. But his faithfulness doesn't give a promise to always keep you safe. His faithfulness is a promise to always keep you faithful. I wanna talk about your thoughts. What lies have I believed about the way my life should be? That's your thoughts. I wanna talk to you about your emotions. What parts of walking this narrow road that is described in scripture am I afraid of? What parts of this narrow road am I afraid of? What wounds, what insecurities or comforts would tempt me to say no to the risks that Jesus calls me into for the sake of that which is holy, just, and eternal lives in the balance? What things tempt me to say no to that or the things that it takes to invest in that because I just don't think I can lose that? What are my fears? God cares about your fears. He doesn't just look at you and say, buck up, I don't care. He understands why you have fears. There are some of you going through the most soul-crushing moments of your life right now, and if you think God doesn't care, think again. There are times in our lives where like you're just like, I can't do anymore, and God's saying, you're right, you can't. It's not about doing more. There's times that you have to just rest in him so that he can heal you so that you can move on, but so many of us are in a place, in a good enough place, where we could be stepping into further faithfulness, but because of our fears, because of what we're afraid to lose, we don't. But eternity is in the balance. We have to figure out how to surrender our hearts to God so that he can soothe our fears, give us courage, and help us to step out into which that, that which he's calling us to. We have to. There's too much at stake. It's not about you, it's not about me. It's about a world who has to hear Jesus, has to prepare their hearts to be ready for Jesus' return, and they're not ready. They're not. Billions of people not ready. Oh, who we would seek God for His courage. It's not wrong to be afraid. But staying there. Staying there is death. Being fearless is not courageous, being faithful in the midst of great fear is where courage is forged. I wanna talk to you about your actions, this is the last thing. How do we prepare now for something that isn't yet happening? It's a great question, thanks for asking it. Uh, That's hard, like if something's not happening right now, how do I get ready for it for when it does? Here's the things that as I prayed this week the Lord gave me, I hope they're helpful. Okay, first one, suffer well. Suffer well. You're gonna have normal stuff that's not persecution that happens in your life that's gonna cause suffering. It's gonna cause pain. I know some people right now that are just going through hell and so much pain. See those normal sufferings of life, even the ones that seem abnormal, but the ones that don't come from persecution, but just from life being hard and this world being broken. See that normal suffering and pain of life as training for the final marathon. How do you walk through that suffering? What are your thoughts about God through that suffering? Do you struggle towards him? When you're angry, are you angry towards him so that he can love you and encourage you? In no way do I wanna numb, be numb to the soul-crushing suffering that some of you are going through. There are times when all you can do is collapse, cry, and depend on God's people around you to carry you through. But do you, do we have a mental category to be able to receive suffering with grace, patience, and trust, even when everything around us would justify resentment, protest, and throwing in the towel? My daughter, Lily, is a runner. She runs cross country. She also runs uh, track, long distance track, in the spring. That girl, all through the week, punishes herself with five, six mile runs, I couldn't, I don't think I could run a mile. She will run straight, no stopping, five, six, seven, eight miles. And I'm like, honey, how do you have the perseverance for this? She's like, if I don't, I won't be ready for the race. So she runs hard and punishes herself now so that she'll be ready when the race really comes. Suffer well, second thing. Fasting with prayer, we see this in in the scripture that we just read. One of the deep wisdoms of God in giving us fasting is that he knows it is preparatory for suffering and perseverance. Fasting teaches me to say no to myself and yes to discomfort. Fasting acclimates me to enduring discomfort, weariness, and willing deprivation, even when there is another option right before me, like the fridge is 10 feet away. Fasting conditions my heart that there is something more satisfying than what this world has to offer me. Fasting and prayer. If it's not already a part of your life, what are you waiting for? Some people can't fast, that's okay. Some people physically can't do it, it'd be dangerous. Don't, God will supply you another way. But for those of us who can, if you haven't made that a regular rhythm of your life, that's part of your training. It's part of your training to endure hardship, and it's even not that, that, that hard, but to endure hardship, to be acquainted with what it feels like, to go without, so that when that day comes, it's not new and scary to you. Third thing, discipling your brothers and sisters. We all must continue to grow in the faith, perseverance, holiness, and love, to continue to pass the torch. We need each other for this. So we must make disciples of each other. Those of us within the church, are you in a community, a family of believers where you get together in a circle or at a shop, whatever it is, and you keep reminding each other that Jesus is returning and how we live now matters because will we be prepared? This world has so much to offer us just to soothe us and just to go, oh it's okay. Just go back to sleep. Don't go back to sleep. Don't be awake. Don't be watchful. Just put Netflix on again. Just just you know, browse YouTube again. Just be quiet, go back to sleep. We have to be together to keep each other awake, to keep each other mindful and watchful as the day approaches. Are you? Number four, this is the last one, discipling your future brothers and sisters. We are surrounded by people all around who don't currently know the Lord or surrender to him And did you know that you have future brothers and sisters out there waiting to be found? Waiting for you to disciple them into a relationship with Jesus. You say, what's the connection between that and persevering and persecution? I'll tell you what it is. When you know how much is on the line and there are people who you are trying to give your life to so that they would know Jesus, it keeps you on your toes. For me, it keeps me from being lazy. When I know I'm gonna go and I'm gonna talk to my friend at Starbucks, and I'm dear friend at Starbucks doesn't know the Lord. The day before, if I'm spiritually lazy, guess what happens when I go and see him? I don't know what to say. I can't hear the Lord. I don't know what he's doing and saying. I am desperate that the Holy Spirit would be having a conversation with my friend through me, not me having a conversation with my friend. When I'm spiritually lazy, that can't happen. And so me knowing what's on the line, it keeps me holy. It keeps me centered on Jesus, knowing that I'm gonna be constantly having conversations with people that might lead them to Jesus. I don't have time to mess around. I don't have time to 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 sin. I do anyway, but I don't have time for that. I don't have the ability to just handle that and then go on with my life, not hearing from the Holy Spirit because I'm distant. The end of the story. Verse 24 says, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, all the way they go as they're traveling back to Antioch. The map's not up there, but they just keep making disciples, making disciples. Where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church there in Syrian Antioch there, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the gentiles and they remained no little time there with the disciples. I think it's so interesting that when they came back to where they had gotten sent out from, Antioch, their message to the church is about what God had done with them and the opening of the doors of faith to the gentiles. There was risk, there was loss, there was sacrifice, there was beatings, but at the end of the day instead of regretting what they had suffered, they rejoiced in what God had done through it. Is that how our hearts are conditioned? Is that where I'm at? If it's not, it's okay, join me in that. I'm getting ready too. But don't be fooled to think that you can wait for the opportune time and then be ready. Jesus is going to return. It's a fact. And what he needs from the time of his ascension to the right hand of God all the way until he comes back again is an unbroken line of people who are living as if these are the last days and we're ready because even if you die without seeing the Lord return, what about your kids? What about their kids? They gotta see you live that way. I'm, I'm, I don't know this to be true, but here's what I'm gonna believe, Okay. I don't know that I'm gonna see the return of Jesus in my lifetime. I don't know that I won't. But here's how I'm thinking right now. I would not be surprised at all if my kids did. What kind of lazy, apathetic baggage are they gonna have to deal with when Jesus returns if I don't ready myself now and show them how it's done? This generation, the, the older ones of us in this crowd, our job, our job is to be ready for the return of Jesus. And even if you never see it, it's not a waste because you will have lived your life as unto the Lord. But what about the ones who will see Jesus' return? Will we leave them a church that's all about me and my preferences and what songs I like and blah, 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 blah? Or will we leave them ready to face the sufferings that come at the end of the age? What kind of church are we building? You must be the kind of person that leaves a church for them not to have to transition to a better place at that time. Let's do it now so they don't have the baggage when Jesus comes then. Stop messing around with preferences and entertaining the saints. We don't got time for that. Jesus is returning. Lay aside all That hinders you and run the race. And even if you don't see him return in your days, run the race in a way that it shows those who will how to. Your comfort and your convenience and your control are nice, but there's too much on the line to live in them. Church, I hope you don't feel yelled at this morning. I hope you feel encouraged. I hope that your heart feels strengthened. Don't neglect. Don't neglect the word of the Lord and what it has said to us through this passage. Don't write those questions to be Work through down and toss them aside. Just push it off again. Today is the day. Now is the hour to prepare. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. We'll <laughs>